Welcome to Disney's Four Scores. I'm your host, John Burlingame. This podcast series brings together the most accomplished film and television composers working today, revealing the inspirations, the emotional journeys, and the unique challenges of their work. I sat down with Tyler Bates to talk about his scoring in the Guardians of the Galaxy films and how his childhood on a haunted ranch has influenced his expansive career, which in the last three decades has taken him from rock guitarist to blockbuster film and TV composer. Welcome, Tyler. 30 years. <laughs> how isn't, are you, John? Isn't that right? It's close, it's, isn't it? It's crazy. You get into this job and before long, you know you're dropping decades like nothing. So uh, it's, been, it's been a ride though, I have to say. I think we should start out by talking a little bit about your background. Where are you from? I'm an LA native. However, I lived part of my life on a ranch outside of Chicago, which has its own story. It's haunted with exorcisms and the whole business. I have to ask about the haunted house business. Is there something about that that maybe later informed your life or career? Oh, for sure. And I didn't realize it at the time. So this house, and this is all documented. It's It was in Hinsdale, Illinois, and it was once owned by Al Capone, but it was haunted. And we thought we were going crazy for about a year, my family, but my mother was very open to the abstract. And before long, psychics would be at our house. And before you knew it, we had an exorcism performed there. I'd have to take the trash out after dinner. And if we ate late, it was nighttime. And the place I had to take the trash out to was on the very edge of this wooded property. That sounds like a movie. Yeah, so I would run out to this old wood shed and uh, I would stash the garbage in the can, close it up and lock the door, and then I'd run as fast as I could into the haunted house to seek refuge from whatever I was freaked out about out there. So that sort of twisted my mind around just a little bit. It wasn't until I was in my later 20s where I looked back on it and I said, wow, that is crazy. Do you ever think about that when you do a horror film? I do. The terror uh, that you feel living in that situation, there's no doubt. It's, it's palpable. I spent a lot of time by myself in that house. And uh, when did music become a big part of your life? Actually, my mother was just such a huge music enthusiast and had a, an incredible stereo when I was a kid. So she would she'd buy 10 records a week and I would go with her to the record store every Tuesday when albums came out. And I started playing instruments, but never thinking that I was or was not doing that with my life. I just always was intrigued by music and fell in love with it since as long as I can remember. The writing, playing, production, uh, understanding the, the, the history behind different recordings and different artists and studios, just all of it. I think might be a good idea to sort of talk in general, if we can, about what your approach is when you start any project uh, for film or television. To understand the filmmaker and how they want to tell the story and what is the emphasis for them and how they want to handle emotions. You know, you could look at a movie like Guardians of the Galaxy and start scoring Rocket and Groot as these animated type beings, but you know, from day one, James and I discussed it and talking it, about James Gunn, James Gunn, the director. And uh, it was always they're real people. 
everything was was that now the the language of that music is a little bit more of a contemporized throwback style score with some post-rock at its core but it's really just an orchestral score with longer melody lines than I usually write for films because in the super action movies it's a lot of stings and two three note motifs but you know guardians allowed me to elaborate in longer form chord progressions and melodies and uh, James sees it as a space opera and that's really what we set out to make usually scoring is part of the post-production process and sometimes composers aren't even hired until after principal photography but you guys actually started to not only talk about but make music before shooting well for a composer it can be a little bit dangerous because it's quite possible that along the way someone can hear the score and not like it i trust james and so therefore i'll do whatever i can to help support his filmmaking process i think he really enjoys having something original created for the film during the production aspect of it because post-production is fun, you know, that's where a lot of the magic happens in post. Production is a grind, but if there is the beginning of this unique language that's accompanying the dailies and the movie takes on a different form, like the process of becoming what it's destined to be is impacted. So um, even before we talk about uh, specifics in terms of approach on the Guardians picture, the nature of the story and the characters is interesting because it was unlike any previous Marvel movie. There was a lot of humor. And I wondered what kind of discussions you might have had with James about tone. Well, the humor, we don't play into the humor at all. The thing that makes James's dialogue funny is he has this very unique, jagged way of writing. I mean, James has a very distinct style. And the most important thing is just to not acknowledge that with music at all. That can take care of itself. Sometimes the funniest things are in the most frantic of scenarios or the, or the saddest of situations. You know, it's, it's interesting how people may be in mourning over the loss of a person, literally the day of their funeral, but find a way to laugh about something. That's what gets us through a lot of our most difficult times. So what is the job of music then in, in the Guardians pictures? It's supporting the narrative, obviously, of the story, but each one of those characters has an interesting background that is painful. And through that, they've developed their own defensive idiosyncrasies to not necessarily confront the pain or the loss that they've experienced in their life. And that I immediately identified with it definitely impacted me in a way that when I had the opportunity to write that music, I felt my own direct connection. So that's really what we kind of do is we have to draw on our own real life experiences, I think, to adequately underscore the, the narrative of a nuanced picture. Even if it's a grand scale tale set against the universe. Absolutely. Now that is the spectacle of Guardians. That's, you know, that's for the audience to really take in in its entirety. But when I'm scoring it, I have to get inside the characters 
heart and their mind first to understand that, to even be able to extraneously then score an action that they're in the midst of, you know, if they're in battle or whatever it is. I need to understand them from the inside before I can score something that we're just seeing on screen so that it's imbued with with that thing that they don't like to to wear on their sleeve. Um, we're all somewhat uh, guarded at times and and that's because we have difficulty maintaining our composure if we do allow this stuff to live at the surface of our consciousness but so you're sort of playing the internal life of the characters yeah yeah and and, and it is great because it's such a beautiful colorful spectacle guardians is it's flamboyant in a way that that asks for huge melody and and bold statements there's so much uh, of a dynamic range between the all the main characters of the guardians world it's a constant challenge and there's always some new terrain to explore there's always a new portal of thought or emotion to consider james is you know he's very dynamic and he's not going to write the same movie twice and he actually played the score live on the set right for the actors mm-hmm. and actually so the first guardians he uh, james asked me to come to uh, production visit the set in london he thought it'd be funny for me to be a ravager pilot so I don't want to be an actor. I don't like being in movies. And I end up in a bunch of these movies. <laughs> so anyway, he thought it'd be funny. So he sent me to makeup and they put dreadlocks on me and scars on me. And I came back and he was laughing his ass off. As soon as we shot the scene, they were cranking Cherry Bomb really loud. And that's when it was happening. I'm like, I feel how much this music is impacting the way I'm even standing and walking. I also had met Chris Pratt just, you know, an hour or two before then, and he's like, dude, I've never shot to music until now, and this is amazing. So on the second film, they all were earbuds. The score was constantly in their ear um, for certain sequences that I'd written music for, and then they removed them digitally in post. I remember talking to Gunn about this, and he said that in addition to the actors listening to the music, that he thought it was even more important for the cinematographer and the camera operators, because he saw the film as a kind of ballet, and the camera operators as kind of the dancers, which I thought was a fascinating way to look at it. Yeah, and it's very interesting, because no matter what you do in the pre-production process, the music is definitely not going to maintain its form, its arrangement, because these movies, when they get to post-production, are three and a half hours long, and they can't be that in the theater. This is not dissimilar from the films that director Sergio Leone and composer Ennio Morricone made in the 1960s, the famous Italian Western series. Morricone wrote a lot of music in advance of those classic Sergio Leone films. James had actually cited that relationship in the process that those two guys really engaged in throughout much of their career of working together. And his hopes were that we would write music and he would film to some of it. A lot of the principal themes in the movies were established before he filmed. 
it's a kind of pure form in a sense because the collaboration begins with the composer and the director talking about things and what needs to be done. It creates this feeling of camaraderie and it also gives us more insight into what we're actually doing. So we can make grand gestures and know that we're, we're okay doing so later because we've sort of beta tested it earlier on. And um, those movies are just a progression from this dialogue James and I have been having for 10 years. Four Scores is brought to you by the Four Scores Playlist, featuring music and interview clips from each composer featured in the podcast series, including Tyler Bates's scores for Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. The Four Scores Playlist is available on all major music streaming services. Experience the magic behind the music you love whenever you want. So what was it like on Guardians 2? Was the process similar? Yeah, Guardians 2, I think there was more music to work with in advance because there were some of the themes that we were carrying forward from the first film and then there were new ideas that were developed, especially for Peter Quill's father, Ego. Right. So that was an interesting challenge. There was a section of the movie that we had avoided the entire time because they were still figuring it out with visual effects. I had called uh, my music editor up, Daryl Hall. I said, so don't tell anybody, but ask for 10 minutes extra tomorrow. I'm gonna set up some gear and no one's gonna see it until the end of the meeting. So if it goes well, <laughs> then I'm gonna play to that sequence live just so we can get we can get into it because that's been the gorilla in the room for like months now right and so i had i brought my guitar viola and a bunch of pedals and a loop pedal and uh, a couple amplifiers and, and i just kind of stashed it in the corner and uh, who's in this meeting uh it was james music editors producers and it's, sometimes you gotta roll the dice we had a great meeting and i'm like hey you guys before you leave just wanted to take a look at this one segment of the film so I literally improvised to the picture four and a half minutes and I was just looping parts and then adding melody and developing chord harmony on top of this and it I didn't screw it up I just it was amazing but I didn't so James is jumping up and down on a chair he says that's not fair he says of course I love it that's not fair and I'm like well I want you to love it so you don't make me write it four times or 14 times you know, that was an amazing story. And I can't remember you telling me that, but maybe you did. That's a true story. <laughs> I have witnesses. You know, if a producer is musically illiterate, but they are creatively invested in a movie, my job is to hear them and give them some signal that they've been heard and they're part of our creative conversation. I don't need them to speak to me in modes or scales or whatever. I would much prefer to reiterate their thoughts in the form of music. Yeah, and, and of course that brings them into the, into the process as a collaborator. That's what it is, this is a team sport. What's the biggest challenge that you have faced in your career as a film composer and 
How did you surmount it? The greatest challenge is to make sure that I understand what's happening, who's involved, and that everybody that's involved is heard. And the more I can bring people together through conversation and reiterating their thoughts and their expressions through a musical statement that then resonates with them, this musical gesture just came back to them when they said this, that means I heard them. A couple of more Guardians questions. Um, these are pretty big scores for orchestra and choir. Uh, I might ask why these movies need that kind of size and depth. Well, on a technical level, you're just dealing with so much sound. And especially anything water-oriented or space-oriented sound design-wise is going to include a fair amount of white noise and that cancels music out. So you need to come to battle with big numbers sometimes. And now, mind you, if there's an intimate moment, then we scale the orchestra down to 45 players or something instead of 100 players. Did you do the music for the Guardians ride at Disneyland? Yeah. A, th a theme park ride. How different is that? Were you able to apply the same themes or ideas or did it require a new score? Well, it's new for sure. Um, it's the music of the collector, essentially, which is not a huge part of the first Guardians film, but it was enough to elaborate on to create the, the music to wait in line to and then the hold music before you get onto the ride. That was so fun. The director, Joe Rohde, uh, decided that there would be a Halloween version of the ride. We were only allowed to be in the park after midnight, so I'd be riding that thing at two in the morning, you know, for the <laughs> fifth time after having worked all day, you know. And if you think about it technically, to, to, to write music that is going to be played in an elevator shaft where the speakers are never stationary, um, it's a tremendous challenge to write music that would translate for that mm. and then also to mix it so that you can really feel the full impact of the music no matter where you are in that. So that's why you have to write it a ton. Yeah, otherwise I would have rode that thing about two times. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, it was about 200, it seemed. So let's talk about another Marvel character, which is Deadpool, because you did Deadpool 2. Once mm -hmm. again, the tone is very different than the standard <laughs> superhero narrative. Yeah. He's completely irreverent. He talks to the audience. He's incredibly profane. Um, what kind of approach did that require? Again, like we were not playing too much into the comedy. Oftentimes some of the more montage moments that are underscored with source music songs. They're funny as hell, and the song stops, and we're kind of into a different mode. Or there's a punchline, and that's really funny. But we don't have to really get our pizzicato strings on and, you know, be jokey in that way. Right. Um, it was more about rocking out on that one, and, you know, there's a big superhero theme in, in the movie, but it's pretty aggressive. And you have the privilege of having the first film score album ever 
to receive a parental advisory warning. <laughs> well, that's my Oscar, John. <laughs> I'm fine. I don't... Um, you know, that was an interesting day. So we were recording choir and when it got to, you can't stop this mother, <laughs> you know, etc. And working that out with the choir so that all the diction was similar to how it was already composed. It was so funny. I mean, it was just absolutely hilarious because they were dead serious about getting it right as music. And then obviously once we recorded it, they were in stitches about what they'd actually done. So, you know, the <laughs> men are holding out long curse words and harmony. And it was really, really quite fun. And it's in the movie, too. It's in the movie. Yes, it is. <laughs> you incorporate more contemporary musical sounds into dramatic scores than many of your colleagues. And I wonder, is that because of your own background in rock, or is it what you feel the pictures need. I think it's both. I also think that your career is unique in the sense that sometimes you take time off to actually go back on the road with artists that you've written and produced with. It is important to remember we're musicians, you know, and as, as a composer, your music, you're like your musician chops, your musical chops, they suffer for it because you're at a computer a lot of the time. And sure, you know, you might be you know, uh, programming on a keyboard, but you're not doing the kind of work that you do on an instrument when you're performing or when you're making records. It's a different brain and all that other stuff benefits from the composer mind. Like I see music and feel it in such a broader way than I ever thought possible. I realized that I was just happier when I was actively playing music. I have no delusions about being a rock star or anything like that you know people would say that to me and i'd be like rock star adjacent <laughs> <laughs> so it's not my name on the ticket but i still smash guitars <laughs> do you play on many of your scores more lately like is it usually guitar yeah, I hire professionals for the other things. Um, <laughs> of course, I can type uh, type out this and that, and I do compose on piano quite a bit. But, you know, there are people who are adequate or adept enough to get it done. That would be me. And then there are incredibly talented virtuosos, and I prefer to work with them. What's your favorite part of the process? I think it's, I think it's when you have that first discovery that clicks with the director like you know you have a good idea and then you share it with them and they're warmly receptive to it it's like yes okay now i feel like i'm inside this story you know because until you earn your way into it you're not in it so it doesn't matter if you've been hired you're not you're not in it until you've you've pass that litmus test and it doesn't end really until the movies in the theater would you have any advice for um people who may want to do what you do for a living i think you need to be a force of creativity 
I think if you wish to score films, television, video games, you need to do more than just that stuff. You need to be a musician. You need to share with other musicians. That's part of developing uh, your style as an artist. I mean, really, our ability to articulate our taste is what makes us a good artist or not a good artist, you know? So I think the more that you apply yourself as a player to feel music in real time, instead of just look back on this thing that you created in the computer for a day or two or three or five or whatever, it brings you into the moment. Um, and you're communicating with other people when you're playing music with others. That's important. If painting is something that's interesting to you, I think that's important. I think if you want to be a film composer, study editing, study all the techniques that a director would apply to make a film because really it's not about being taught how to write music because if you're if you are driven you will have a musical voice but you need to understand what the medium is that you're creating music for and you can't understand that by going to the theater and seeing the movie the only way to truly understand that is to study the craft of those you're going to be collaborating with it's great to talk to you about this stuff thank you tyler always my pleasure john Thank you for listening to Four Scores. Please subscribe and make sure to share this episode with your music-loving friends. It'd also be great if you can rate it because that really helps others find the series. See you next time. Watch Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and listen to the soundtracks wherever movies and music are enjoyed.